Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Boom sauce, everybody. Boom sauce. I hope everyone's having a great week so far. Thank you so much for listening and voting on the Great American Red Sox free agent draft. It was a huge, huge success. We'll be announcing the winner later in the week. But right now, number two on the list for this week is buying a boom sauce for John Lester. John Lester bought almost 5,000 beers for the city of Chicago. He deserves one boom sauce, and he also deserves a podcast. So we have a great guest, Patrick Mooney of The Athletic in Chicago, on with us. We've had Patrick on a couple times. He's always great. He's one of the go-to guys when it comes to anything Cubs, anything Chicago anything MLB, and, and he has ridden through this last six years with John Lester. He has great insight on what he meant, Lester meant to that entire city. And, you know, we can look back on what Lester meant to the Red Sox, as we say in the podcast. It is unbelievable. If you talk about free agency, it's unbelievable. This guy, how this guy is a guy everyone wants back, and there's a reason for it. And we have to go back all the way before he left town to find at least part of that reason. We get into all of this in the podcast. I feel like it's a pretty good one. we got a couple more on the way this week. So, once again, have a great week. Stay safe. Here he is, Patrick Mooney at The Athletic, talking John Lester, and a little bit of Theo Epstein, a little bit of Cubs, a little bit of Red Sox. Here you go. Enjoy. All right. We're honored, Patrick Mooney of The Athletic. What's going on? It's good to see you, Rob. I mean, ideally, we'd be standing around the lobby wow. of a very expensive hotel that they, we weren't actually staying at, staking out the GM meeting. So I'll settle for uh, a Zoom uh, with you here. A instead. year ago, a, a year ago, we were in Arizona. Were you there? You were there, right? You were there. I talked. Yeah, to you. yeah. yeah, you're always there. So we were in Arizona at the GM meetings, which is, by the way, probably the best place to have the GM meetings. And we could still have it there because it's all outside. Everything's outside. It's great. And so, um, but a year ago, you know, I was, I was hiking up um, Camelback Mountain, you know, just, you know, stand, like you said, standing around, really doing nothing because that's what we do at GM meetings, like act busy. Um, all of that, like all of that has been taken away from us. So it's still weird. So weird. It is. Yeah. I was in Arizona. That was the last time I was on a plane was flying back from Arizona in the middle of March uh, of spring training. So uh, yeah, good to be back on Zooms. That was the entire extent of our uh, Cubs regular season media gatherings. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So let's, let's get to it. And I, like I said, I appreciate it. It's your son's birthday. What's his name? Jack. Jack. Happy birthday to Jack, <laughs> seven years old. There is no better gift that a father can give his son than appearing on the Bradford show. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send Jack a T-shirt. So. <laughs> yes. Here's, here's the thing. The only thing is, Patrick, if I send Jack a Bradford show T-shirt, he has to promise that he won't do what Mookie Betts did, which is give it to the translator. All right. <laughs> I, can probably, I mean, has Joe Kelly's son gotten a shirt yet? That, that uh, would be well, the... so here's the, here's the spoiler alert. Or not spoiler alert, but – if you take a deep dive into the last podcast, it was revealed that Joe Kelly's son, Knox, 
obviously he became famous throughout the World Series for giving his motivational speeches to the Dodgers. But we figured out that the very first time that Knox Kelly was ever on social media via a video was me <laughs> forcing him, forcing this half-year-old to say Bradfro show. And, and we, we edited it together. And so I feel like I was the reason they won the World Series. Um, how, many, how many blog posts a day is he up to now? Do you have him in? Oh your, my god, he was like yeah, in your like, digital like, factory there, like father, <laughs> like son, like father, <laughs> like son, just like the, the Kelly family, like keeping wei.com in business. Anyway, so um, you're doing great work for the athletic. Obviously, you know this year was a bizarre year in so many different ways. Uh, but I, I was thinking, whatever I you know, talk Cubs or think about Cubs. I think of you. I think of the great job that you do. And you, you have the pulse of every, you, the pulse via Zoom in this case, the pulse via whatever, however you cover mm -hmm. the team, but you write great stories and that's all I care about. Um, and almost at every GM meeting, this was like a time hour tradition for us, I think the last <laughs> however many years. It's like, First it was, remember, you're like, what's Theo like? What's going on with Theo? What's going on with Jed? What's going on here? And then, of course, then it became Lester. And, and now we're sitting here, and it feels like yesterday. And I can almost remember it. It was probably, I think it was in San Diego that we were talking about this stuff. Like Lester, Lester going to the Cubs. Lester, is he going to go back to the Red Sox? All of that. And now we're sitting here six years later. And John Lester is buying 5,000 beers for the city of Chicago. Like, it kind of flew by, didn't it? No doubt. I think John would say the exact same thing. And he was – this one kind of a, a rare Zoom moment that was actually really powerful was his last start at Wrigley Field. Uh, and it was against Cleveland. And he kind of hung in there, you know, pitched okay – I think got maybe a no decision in a game the Cubs ultimately won, but he was, he was really emotional and he was like, you know, kind of pissed at himself and saying how I had a lot of my mind tonight, you know, my last, this could be my last start at, at Wrigley field. And we were kind of, you know, caught off guard for him to be like that upfront honest when he still had at least one more start in the bank, the Cubs were head towards the division title. Um, and he said one of the things that kind of bothered him about leaving Boston was he didn't really get a chance to kind of say goodbye. It felt very rushed to him. And all of a sudden he was, you know, flying out to Oakland or whatever on a private jet, I think with Johnny Gomes or however it went down. Um, and he realizes that there are way bigger problems in the world. Um, he, he understands kind of what's going on at large, but that did not sit well with him. He really wished he had a chance to, thank Chicago and the fans and, and Wrigley Field, which is not a knock on Boston. It's, I think, a lot of the same qualities that kind of drew him here. And, uh, yeah, his uh, Miller Lite tab at four bars in, did you, in Chicago. Did you partake? Did you partake? Or is that, uh, I didn't know. Is, is, that, is that against your journalistic integrity? Do you know of any writers that get a free beer from John Lester? Uh, I do not. All I know is my frame of reference is Joe Madden's press conference at the Cubby Bear. He famously grabbed a mic and said, you know, shot in a beer on me. That's the Hazleton way. But he didn't realize uh, 
that we were all still like basically our work day was just beginning like once the press conference is done then obviously there are all these breakout sessions with Theo and Jed and, and Joe and people doing TV so none of the writers I don't think got a shot in a beer but Paul Sullivan the longtime Chicago Tribune columnist constantly brought this up throughout Joe Madden's tenure he even asked like Theo for a comment uh, so that would be what I would suggest to Google of shot in a beer Paul Sullivan because <laughs> he continually made it like an annual issue of how come Joe never you know fully paid up on that uh, so well John Lester went above and beyond that obviously though yeah I mean, we, we have the receipts to, to, <laughs> yeah. to prove to prove that actually this did happen almost 5,000 Miller Lights, and I don't care what kind of beer it is. I am personally, as a as a tribute to John Lester for doing this, which I feel like is the only reason maybe he did it was to get this tribute for me. Was I am going to buy him a boom sauce and there send it his way, there, or there maybe go. even a four pack of it. And now we're talking. <laughs> but it's you know you go to John Lester. We talk about the six years and how it flew by. Um, you know we right now we hit, sit here, Patrick, and we're we're like. You know, John Lester's, I gotta be honest with you, John Lester's good for business when it comes to Red Sox free agency, right? <laughs> if, if you, if you, if you wanted to, you want to get people talking about free agency, sure, you can bring up George Springer and Trevor Bauer, but really, you bring up John Lester. They like the idea of John Lester. So I guess the first question I'll ask you, or one of the questions I'll ask you is, is what's the feasibility of John Lester returning to the Cubs? or going elsewhere um, because, you know, as much as like he buys the 5,000 beers for the fans and initially there's a, it's, it might be a farewell. I mean, the way that they talk about him in Chicago, whether it's the fans, the media, or more importantly, the organization, if he's going to sign for short money on short years, like why wouldn't it be Chicago? Yeah, I will say when I tweeted out the other night when the Cubs formally declined the option, which is like uh, an obvious decision that everyone knew was coming, all of a sudden all these Red Sox people or Boston people on my timeline started like retweeting it. So they like, come home, John. Like I was kind of – I mean, I know Boston. I know the Red Sox sister. I was still kind of surprised at how immediately all these people jumped on it, to your point of it being good for business. and. I would kind of be, I would think that Chicago would probably be, if not the first choice, it would be the most logical uh, destination. You have uh, Lester himself saying, we're open-minded, you know, we want to you know, talk about a reunion. Uh, David Ross, who you know well, um, flat out said, <laughs> exactly. I don't think this was John Lester's last start at Wrigley when you know, we had asked him about kind of John's emotions off that potential last start. Uh, Jed Hoyer, who could presumably take over baseball operations, you know, when Theo Epstein leaves, has said, we're going to talk to John Lester's people. And Theo Epstein, who uh, is now on the last year of his contract, assuming, I guess there's no office to walk out of in a gorilla suit anymore, but at some point, there's no expectation that he is taking on a, uh, a third contract in Chicago, but if he's kind of overseeing this offseason, he's said, we value John Lester. We'd like to find a way to bring him back. So I just think, I think you were probably the first person who explained to me how much John Lester values a comfort zone, a sense of routine, kind of how he looks at things. And I don't really know if 
that's there in Boston anymore, right? I mean, how many guys would he have played with? It's yeah, uh, a new front office. Uh, who's the manager going to be? And whoever it is, he's not going to be tighter with him than, than David Ross. So uh, we don't really know the Cubs' money situation. I don't think they do. Probably like the Red Sox, they're saying, we don't know if we're going to have fans next year. But they're definitely in a downsizing mode. So there are legitimate questions about whether or not the Cubs are going to make this happen. But I do think they're kind of the logical pick uh, here on November 2nd. Well, so as much as people – you know, around here say it makes a lot of sense because I think that how it makes sense for people in Boston is that, is that their pitching stinks, you know, and even, even as much as John Lester has struggled like last in 2019 and 2020, like he's still good enough to be good enough. And he's also, part of a clubhouse equation, which obviously like for young pitchers, you want to get behind. The problem is Patrick is that you make a lot of good points. Number one is that like, that was a very real thing. The comfort level, the comfort zone of John Lester of, um, and I use this all the time. I used it recently a lot with Mookie Betts where players, a player like John Lester, all he wanted to do was stay in Boston. They screw up the entire negotiation, which they got around to admitting a few years later. They screw that up. They trade him to Oakland. And now John Lester sees, even though it's Oakland, the place where, like, they still make you pay for the sodas in the clubhouse, <laughs> Oakland, they're like, wait a second. The world isn't, isn't flat. I'm not going to fall off the, the cliff here if I go to another place. It's not terrible. I can find my way around the park and to my house and everything else. And just being integrated into that, I think that allowed him to be more open-minded about the Cubs situation in Chicago. And um, so what I'm saying is that, like, like, there is, like, he does still have that mentality. But at the same time, it, it's, like, it's not, like, the mentality that he, like, I got I to gotta go back to Boston because that's all I know. I mean, Chicago, I don't know if he would say, oh, Chicago's my home or Boston's my professional home. I don't know what it is. But and the other thing, before I forget, is that this regime with Heim Bloom, and this is where I'm interested in getting your thoughts on the Cubs' thought process in the front office. I mean, if they're going to pick like a guy like between, let's say, for argument's sake, Mart Martin Perez, we think that the analytics show and the spin rate shows and the Repsoto machine shows and this shows and that shows, this guy hasn't been good but we can do this and this and this and, and we can make him good. Like Lester's not that guy anymore, mm -hmm. right? Like Lester isn't the guy who you're going to project to take this big jump. His stuff is probably down. All the machines probably say his stuff is down. He's going to get by with grit, gut, and guile. But the grit, gut, and guile argument for front offices is, is devalued more than ever. And I think that's the case of the Red Sox's front office. And, I wonder if it's the case with the Cubs. To a certain extent, yes. Uh, I think the Cubs are going to, particularly if they're stuck with this group of hitters for a lot of different reasons, they're going to need some kind of upside plays here or just something different that they can sell themselves whenever they report to spring training. But, I mean, David Ross has a lot of influence within that organization. I think the Cubs realize that they're going to need someone who's 
durable, uh, someone who understands their game planning system, which they've done a really good job with over the years. Um, they know that, I mean, Theo, I think John Lesser is still like, or no, Clay Buckles is the last like drafted pitcher that a Theo team has developed. So like, while the Cubs have Albert Azale and Alec Mills as kind of like fourth, fifth, sixth starters, there's not a lot of guys like knocking on the door to Wrigley Field in terms of like a farm system that's producing, you know, frontline well, starting and, pitchers. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of the mantra was, we're going to develop hitters and we're going to let other people develop pitchers and then we're going to go sign or trade for those pitchers for a while with the Cubs, right? Yeah, that's kind of the cliff notes more or less that, you know, and, and it's, it's worked. It's just that um, they should, they, that still doesn't stop them from, you know, unearthing like one pitcher through the draft. And uh, the Cubs have gotten good results at the major league level. Theo points to that they have the third best ERA in the majors since 2015. Um, and to me, I think, this is probably a whole separate episode, but Theo is someone who's been around so long. He's no longer this like, you know, boy wonder young guy anymore. Like he does see the value in someone like John Lester, kind of the aura and the presence that he has. And, you know, you can talk yourself into spin rate and stuff like that, but you know, how many other guys do you feel comfortable betting? Like he'll stay healthy to make 30 starts next year. And I think John Lester is, that guy, the Cubs have a strong defense behind him. Uh, he has a great relationship with uh, Tommy Hadovy, the pitching coach, and ex, I think a one-time Red Sox. Yep. Um, and kind of the auxiliary you know, coaching staff uh, as well. Assuming the Cubs don't trade Wilson Contreras, I'm not sure, but he's that kind of uh, personal catcher, security blanket in terms of controlling the, the, the running game. So – and I, we don't know if there's going to be a designated hitter or not next year. So if there's not, the National League would still be, you know, probably pretty attractive for him. And uh, I, getting 200 wins is important to him. And I think he's seven wins away. So uh, I'm with you. I don't see like the Red Sox front office or ownership, like waking up, like thinking, Oh no, you know, no John but, Lester's, or maybe those are two separate. No, things. no, you're, you're right. So this is, this is the part that I forgot to mention. In this equation, you mentioned ownership. Ownership, it like it was a signature moment when John Henry sat on that bench in spring training, and basically said, "We screwed up the John Lester negotiation," right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and they did. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, but you yeah. know, it, it took them four years to admit it, which is like, we knew, like that July they were doing that, and um, so in this time where the Red Sox are more PR conscious than ever because their their business isn't good right now, no. right? This isn't gonna this isn't gonna save the business and maybe save furloughs, but it is gonna be factored in, I think, by ownership more than it usually is. And this is what we don't know. We don't know like how much ownership is saying, hey, you know, let's 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 make a really a little bit harder push on John Lester this year. Like we don't know that. But that is a dynamic I think comes into play with the Red Sox anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've known John Lester longer than I have, but I think we both agree he's a pretty sharp guy and very observant. 
And I think he might see through some of that in terms of not that he's being set up to fail, but with the Cubs, he could be a fifth starter. You'd have you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks at the top of the rotation. Uh, his, his legacy is you know, pretty secure, more than secure here. Uh, I'm just not sure if he's going to want to be like the number one headline signer to like stabilize the Red Sox pitching in the American League East next season. I think he's extremely self-aware and very conscious of his surroundings. And I don't know, I guess money talks in the end, but I I don't know if that's a really compelling case of, you know, Red Sox ownership trying to write a PR. No, no, like, listen, (laughs) listen, they aren't making panda hats like like Sandoval. And, and, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is that, you have Sale here, even though he won't be back until That's May true. or June. You have Eduardo Rodriguez here. You have Evaldi, who, like, you know, you, you think that he might be at least a middle-of-the-rotation guy. Guy, Tanner Houck, you talk about developing pitching. Like, forget about Theo and the Cubs. Like, the Red Sox, yay, Tanner Houck is here. The first yeah. guy they developed in years. So, you have that, like, fifth, fourth, fifth guy. He wouldn't have to be the guy. He wouldn't have to be on the bump st- stickers. But it would send like, – I am telling you, Patrick, like, John, I'll come back to it. John Lester is good for business. The Red Sox know that as well. And um, that goes a long, long way with people saying, enough of this, enough of signing these guys that we never heard of. We have heard of this guy. We, we have actually heard of this guy, and he reminds us of better times. Speaking of better times, though, I do want to ask you, the, the Mount Rushmore of Cubs – like and then so I'm, when I'm asking when I'm formulating mm-hmm. this question, I'm thinking, am I overstating things? But I don't think I am. The Mount Rushmore of Cubs, Cubs of all time. Power rock me. Where does John Laster fit in? Let's see. Well, you got Ernie Banks as Mister Cub. Yeah, I guess once you once you're Mister, you just can't uh, can't really leapfrog that. You'd have. Ron Santo. Um, okay, stop is, right there. Yeah. Is John Lester viewed, at the end of the day, viewed um, as a more impactful guy than Ron Santo? He won a world championship. He was really, really good. Well, I would say if we're talking about ima- imaginary monuments that <laughs> – Ron Santos got the uh, statue outside the stadium and you'd have to factor in like kind of setting up why what John Lester did was so significant was because of Ron Santos hall of fame career as a player, the heartbreak there. And also his kind of uh, presence in the radio, I mean, he spoke to generations of Cubs fans. So you kind of, you take all that together. Um, I would have no issue with putting John Lester there. I, what I've personally written or thought about is that I think he's the best free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports. Ooh, nice. So that to me, I have, have a kind of better sense of because Cubs fans are so parochial and particular and you get into guys like, okay, well, Greg Maddox and Andre Dawson, they're not even on it. You have someone like Billy Williams, who's been, you know, until this season was still around the stadium, just this beloved figure. You could probably make the case would 
in terms of ex Red Sox, would Anthony Rizzo get on there before Lester? I think some of that is to be yeah. determined. And, you know, I think with Lester, as we talk about this, you know, I'm also talking myself into maybe the Cubs and Lester just leave everything right here because it's kind of a natural breaking point. There's no hard feelings. It is, you know, the greatest six season run in franchise history, at least in more than a century. I think we're talking four days after four, sorry, four years after the game seven of the 2016 uh, world series, but no doubt. I mean, his press conference at Spiaggia uh, after that winter meetings where we were staking out the lobby is a definite, like kind of before and after moments in franchise history It's like, because before, uh, you know, Rick Renteria finishing out, you know, another last place season in Chicago. They fire him. You have the Madden uh, press conference at Cubby Bear. And then John Lester holding up that jersey. Like, everything changed after that. So, I mean, that, that's probably a Mount Rushmore. I'm probably forgetting someone, too. But no doubt, like, that's kind of where Yeah, well, where and, and think about it. Like, it, it's unbelievable. And I know the Red Sox have won since. But it's unbelievable, like, in, in – we're going to flip to the Red Sox, how much this one move, this one decision mm-hmm. changed everything and cost the Red Sox how about, so much money. Yeah. Because when Lester signs with the Cubs, they go into the next year and they have, like, we have five aces and Masterson and Kelly and Porcello and Buckholtz and Wade Miley. And, okay, they didn't have any aces. And then they realize, wait a second, you need a John Lester. Like, you need to pay for a John Lester. So they dramatically overpay for David Price, $217 million, which Thea was not shy about saying, you know, it was $50 million more than we were going <laughs> to offer. Um, and, then, and then that kind of works, but it doesn't work well enough to prevent you from giving your top prospects for Chris Sale. So – like the John Lester thing, and I think everyone in Boston understands like what a signature moment that was um, and how the Red Sox really missed it and how the Cubs didn't miss it. I mean, they, it's tough to pay for free agent pitching. And we know that most times when you pay that and, and spend that, allocate that many years, it's not going to work out. But, you know, you have, at some point you have to take that chance. And it wasn't that much of a chance. I think that Theo's familiarity, that whole organization's familiarity. And I remember the thing, Patrick, I remember about that San Diego hotel that, that leading up to that was, and I might've told you this, like the, the going up in the elevator with the, uh, with 11 cents mm-hmm. the night before. Right. And so walking with them, I go up in the elevator and go to the hallway and, um, and I didn't really like, so, they were basically going, they were getting ready to go into the, the Cub suite with Theo and what turned out to be like an all-nighter. Like mm-hmm. that's where that whole thing, that and that, and, and I remember uh, Seth saying this about how, how crazy it was getting in there. Like, like he, you know, they had to lock me in the bathroom because I was getting so pissed at Theo and Theo was getting so pissed at us. And, and this like... <laughs> this night of just going back and forth and throwing things. I'm not, I'm overstating it, <laughs> but that like how important that they, and I think that says a lot about like what Theo and those guys did was like, 
they knew that that was going to be the difference maker. That guy was going to be the difference maker. That was going to, they can get the farm system. They can say, we're going to player development machine. We have Anthony Rizzo. We have Chris Bryant. We have everything, but you needed that guy. You know, that was that important. Without a doubt. I mean, I remember vividly, must've been the next night of after the news broke and Theo and a whole group of Cubs people were at the, the kind of sports bar there at the uh, Hyatt or Hilton, whatever it is. And uh, they all did a shot of, I think, tequila. And they were just delirious. They were exhausted. They were like, you know, this is it. You know, this is time. You had Joe Madden, like, coming back from dinner and had some some red wine. It was like, we won the baseball lottery. And, you know, the Cubs were talking about how, yeah, you know, we had, you know, David Ross in our back pocket if we want to do – something like that. And, uh, you know, the Rays had just hired Kevin Cash. And they're like, oh, you know, uh, you know, Rossi's got even more, you know, charisma and gravitas than Kevin Cash. It's just crazy to think back of how the, the ripple effects from that. And I think there's um, no doubt that it's, it's not easy to, like, play at Fenway Park or play at Wrigley Field or play with – the weight of a free agent contract kind of hanging on you. And John Lester really kind of owned everything that, that came his way. I mean, this is a guy like first started as a cub. You had uh, ESPN just talking about his yips and throwing first base. And I think he had like a five ERA his oh, first I month as a cub. Like, I, and, I remember uh, an unnamed Red Sox person that first month or, or two or whatever it was saying, yeah, they're stuck with that contract, you know, for whatever, five more years. Like, yeah. You know, it's it, it, honestly like a natural reaction, but yeah, it's, 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 it was crazy. The, um, um, when, uh, w- when you look back or when you, when you look at like Lester's career, like he's also, we talk about being good for business. It's good for business for you, right? Was the first story that you did on him, the uh, professional soccer player story? I did uh, reference that to him, and he, when I said, said that, he kind of looked like, how do you know that? I was like, oh, you know, Rob, Rob Bradford uh, told me that you – It's a great story. Uh, had... I mean, it's not – I mean, I'm not going to say – I'm just like, it's a bizarre he – was, he was signed as a professional. Yeah, yeah. Was signed? I can't even remember now. He was, he was offered – He was courted as a professional yes. soccer player as a, like a – I mean, I should remember this, like an eighth grader or something like that, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and that it kind of showing his athleticism, his size. And I think with Lester, what we always found was there were times where you'd kind of walk over to his locker, you'd catch him walking out the field, and he'd have this he had this look on his face, like just a total scowl, death stare. Like, hey, you got him in. He's like, yeah, what's up? And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes would fly by, and he'd be super animated and would just give you these, you know, just great insightful answers. And uh, I think it was calculated to a certain extent, but I think it's, it's a good strategy. And I think he always said, you know, back in Boston, it was, if I sucked, I'll tell you I sucked. Like there's no point in kind of stepping around that. And that, you know, I think whether it's buying almost 5,000 beers for fans or talking straight to the media, I think he, you know, kind of remembered what it was like to root for a baseball team. And like he understands that, you know, fans, you know, pay the tickets and pay for the tickets and they, and they buy the gear that they kind of make this thing work and that you have to show them 
a certain amount of respect and honesty. And, you know, I've always really appreciated that about him that you, know, you could really ask him anything at any time and he would try to answer as best, as best he could. Well, I think it, when he came back to Fenway as a cub, I remember him saying at one point, we were talking about sort of like his evolution and talking to the media. And he said, you know, I listen to, I, he's like, I learned a couple of years ago, like just stop putting the filter on. Like just yeah. like, I, I, it's, it's like, and, and I, I, that's another thing which, you know, please let have John Lester come back because you know, as well as I do, Patrick, baseball has become more filtered than everyone talking to these guys. They're very protective of their brands. They're very protective of their social media accounts, or if they're going to say something, they're going to say on their social media accounts. They're yeah. very protective in terms of like the clubhouse dynamic. Oh, if I say this, I'm going to have to like answer to the three guys down the, down the road mm -hmm. for me. It's different. It just yeah. is different. I think he's a rarity. Yeah, he's a link that, you know, to uh, – I don't know, he's always seemed a lot older than he actually is to me, like, because um, he had played with that prior generation, and that was one of the things that's uh, kind of been emphasized his final, perhaps, season here of how good he was to young players. Like Kyle Schwarber was saying how I remember being called up in 2015 and, like, John Lester took me out and bought me my first like suit, you know, as a big leaguer, like just kind of small gestures like that or paying for kind of team gatherings over the years. Or I think it was 2015 after they won a, a playoff series or something. Uh, and like Eddie Vedder showed up at his house on the North side of Chicago and was like playing uh, kind of on the garage or something like that. Like all these kind of moments that the Cubs have collected over the years. And John Lester was no doubt uh, a central part of it. You know, kind of in the clubhouse or off the field, on the field. Um, just a really interesting guy. And it'll be kind of fascinating to see where he lands this offseason. All right, last thing. I know you got to get going. You have a birthday party to <laughs> attend. Um, you had mentioned Theo real quick. So he's going to the last year of his contract. Um, I can't get my head around, and you're going to enlighten me, I can't get my head around how an executive <laughs> goes into the last year of a contract knowing, or basically everyone knows, everyone thinks they know, that he's not going to be there after this year. I mean, you're, talk you're not talking about a manager. We're talking about a guy who's building the team. What, what am I missing here? Is, is it as awkward as I think it might be, or is just everyone like, eh, it'll just be like this for another year? Yeah, that's maybe the surprising part is that it's not particularly awkward. I mean, you have to remember that when he showed up for his first day of work in Chicago for that press conference, he was talking about the 10-year term limits and the Bill Walsh theory. So that kind of countdown clock was literally from kind of the moment he walked in the door there. So I think there's a couple of things at play uh, last offseason – the Cubs re-engineered their scouting and player development uh, systems in part bringing in or elevating, uh, I believe another Brad, Brad show friend, Craig Breslow as director of pitching. Oh, There's yeah. all this stuff that happened behind the scenes of them kind of with an eye towards the future. And Jed Hoyer was involved in that. Uh, they've always kind of had this partnership uh, prior to, you know, some really gutting layoffs because of COVID-19 related revenue losses. They had really just built out this front office in a way that the Tribune company never did. 
And so Theo gets along really well with Chairman Tom Ricketts. Uh, he's empowered Jed in a lot of ways. We're not sure the exact nature or timing of this transition, um, but it wouldn't be surprising if at some point they announce a su succession plan that involves Jed. I think just the way the game's economics are right now, I feel certainly aware that he's paid like a player. Um, and, you know, he's got a, a family that he's thinking about. He's trying to manage kind of whatever is next out there. And so, you know, it's on paper, it's really, really strange, but kind of covering it over the last, wow, I can't believe it's kind of year 10 here. Mm. Um, it makes a lot of sense in a very, in a weird cubby bubble. It makes a lot of sense. Well, from the outside, I certainly understand. Uh, an agent tell me that he felt that Jed had taken on a more active role in the day to day. Um, that could just be an agent who had a better relationship with Jed than Theo or just kind of the nature of this year. I mean, the Cubs didn't have a single player test positive for COVID and that when you talk to people around the team, like that starts with Theo, like he was the one kind of setting the tone. There's no doubting his kind of, you know, air of authority here. Um, and I think one of the interesting things is that he's not the same age as the players anymore. Like he is this kind of establishment figure in a way that he wasn't at the beginning in Boston, that he's almost more of like, kind of the angry dad sometimes with these young millennial players that he can't seem to understand at times. That's what I, makes me think about Tony La Russa trying to manage the White Sox. Like if Theo is constantly confounded by some of these millennials, like what's Tony La Russa going to be like having to deal with them day to day. But that's a really long way of saying that, you know, Theo's kind of earned the right to script his own exit here. He did, uh, the job he was hired to do. I don't think the Cubs are in as bad a straits as people, you know, imagine looking forward in a couple of years. They got Darvish Hendricks for the rotation. Uh, they believe in some of these changes they've made in the draft, in player development, uh, the investments they made in technology. They have some nice young players and ultimately they're, you know, a big market team that should be able to spend. I mean, the, goal from ownership is to be like what the Dodgers are, the Yankees are, just being in contention or view. They say they don't believe in windows anymore. And so part of his job, I think he's going to leave it in good shape. And why I don't think he's running out the door uh, just yet is to try and manage this offseason in a way where uh, they do get some talent back, some flexibility. And, you know, they did win a division this year. I mean, yeah, they made the playoffs. People don't remember, but – because well, uh, they got blown out <laughs> by the Marlins in the playoffs, but um, there's still there's still a lot to work with here. I guess he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, right? no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, it's a Hall of Famer. So, uh, all right. Speaking of Hall of Famers, Patrick Mooney, excellent job. I appreciate it. You're welcome anytime. Anytime, Rob. You know how much I appreciate your help over the years, and uh, anytime, happy to come on. Uh, but you'll see you in person next. <laughs> oh man, that that will be a, that will be a signature moment. It is at it the is, 2028 GM meetings. We'll we'll, we'll do something like that. The, uh, uh, because because I uh, Lucia, yeah, because because I called Evan fat early in the podcast. I will credit him with being the one that who surfaced the um, 
the winter meetings tweet, there was going to be no winter meetings. And which I responded, yeah, they're like, well, how are we going to stand around and pretend like we have to act busy? I mean, it's, it's not the same over Zoom, right? It is, it is like, this is, listen, it's an excuse for, a lot of it's important, but it's an excuse for these people, like you or myself, to get to see each other in, in a course of a calendar year, which we don't get to see each other. And we're all in the yeah. same industry and we're all uh, doing the same sort of thing. And it's a great, uh, it's that, it's that great um, example and time to do, to be able to do that. That has been stripped from us by COVID. How dare you COVID. Hi. Uh, so you're a great dude. Your son's a great dude. Go celebrate his birthday. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Talk to you soon.